in ministry and they can see what is missing that is dividing families, that is, that is harming the children, that is needed for the health and the growth of the family. And I mean the nuclear family, but also the family of God. And I also mean the family called humanity. Women are really good at this. That's why in the, in the, I believe it's the late 1800s, God begins to move and all the women, there's a missionary movement and like something like 600, maybe it was 900, I don't know, I have it in my studies, but, but 600, 900 single women went out to the nations to bring in the harvest. You know, and, and there were all kinds of women's movement. Did you know that the women's liberation movement that most of us hate right now, because, you know, radical feminism is a little bit crazy, and it's really not godly, okay? And so, but do you know that feminism actually was started as a Christian women's movement? To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to infect society to infect society with the principles of the gospels of Jesus that cares for people, cares for children. In the early movement, do you know, they're the ones that helped to abolish child labor laws. They, they set in place child labor laws. Why? Because six-year-olds were having to go into the mines to get coal. Six-year-olds, rather than be educated. You see what I'm saying? So I told the women that, and then, and then we released a mother's blessing, and it was just the most beautiful thing. Because ministry from women is needed in the church, needed in society, needed in humanity. Okay? Okay, so that was Saturday morning. So Saturday night, I don't want to take a whole lot of time with this, but Saturday night, that was last, yeah, that was last night. Last night... I talked to you about how God was coming. He's actually coming to correct three things in the church. And I brought you one thing last night because I felt like it was the most important one for you to get last night. But the, he's coming to correct three things in the church. And I told you, he's not coming to correct for punishment or condemnation. He's coming to bring a correction so you can be in alignment with God. You can receive this new move of God and you can be powerful and influential everywhere you go. Because this is really the job of the church. The job of the church is to continue the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. This is our task. Right? And so, I, so the three things he wants to correct. He wants to correct our toleration of Jezebel. Now, don't get weird on me and say, oh, well, I know a woman in here who's a Jezebel. I'm, I'm just tired of that, can I just tell you? You know, because every strong, powerful woman doesn't mean she's a Jezebel. It's not true. That's not what a Jezebel spirit is. When God says we are tolerating Jezebel, what it means is that we are tolerating in the church sexual immorality and false prophets who say things they should never say and prophesy things that they should not. And they do it for selfish gain. That's a false prophet, not someone who gets it wrong. Because we're, we're people. Paul anticipates we're going to get things wrong when he says we see through a glass darkly. We know in part. We prophesy in part. Okay? So he's anticipating that we're just human and sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But false prophecy is when we prophesy things so that we can be famous, so that we can be rich, so that we can gain sexual pleasure and, and you know, favors from women or others. 
So he's coming to, to deal with that. He was, he's coming to deal with our idolatry and apostasy. And why is that? And I'm told you, again, it's not to spank us or to condemn us. It's to make us more powerful and influential. And I told you last night, the reason he's coming for that is because it has disempowered our testimony. It has removed the power and the, the, prophetic, Im, the prophetic import and impact of the testimony of Jesus that we have in our lives because when we don't live our lives according really to the Bible, when we live our lives according to our own plans and our own agendas, doing what is right in our own eyes, not what's right in God's eyes, what happens is that those people around us who are reading the testimony by the way we live our lives because that's the message that we're really preaching, not from our words but from our behavior then they can't believe the testimony of Jesus in your life when you tell them. And so God wants to restore the power of the testimony of Jesus when we give a witness to Jesus. And don't tell me this is just for pastors and leaders because I'm telling you, everybody, every single person who names the name of Christ in their life is supposed to be a witness to Jesus. And so we tell the testimony of our lives, how he came and saved us, how he came and he just interrupted our lives, how he had came and removed the sin in our lives and the condemnation and all that stuff that was an oppression to us, how he removed us, how he saved us from our addictions, and many of us, how he saved us, he saved our very lives like we would have been dead if he hadn't intervened. And this is the power of the testimony. I mean, you guys know my story. I've told you many, many times. But I've told you that my husband and I, when we got married, he was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And we did not live a life according to Jesus. And then one day, Jesus interrupted my life, spoke an audible word to me. I didn't even know he could speak. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't waiting for him. I wasn't pursuing him. I was living my own life. I was very hurt. It was a very dark time. I had no hope of anything to go right. I was in the middle of a divorce from my husband. And he came and he spoke to me. And he said, if you'll follow me and if you, if you return to your husband, I'll take care of everything. And he sure did because then he interrupted my husband's life. And he was instantly delivered from all his drugs and alcoholism. And now we've been married 43 years. And this is my testimony to my children and to my six grandsons that they would know that Jesus saves and that Jesus heals and that God is real. The God of wonders is real. But see, if I am living according to the world's standard and I am ignoring my family and my responsibilities and I'm just dabbling a little bit in sin over here and a little bit in sin over here and, I'm, and I may think that it's not hurting me because, you know, a lot of us, especially in our Western society, we think sin is just between me and Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you it affects everyone around you, even if they don't really know if it's hidden. Because it changes your behavior.
It changes the way that you think. And you know that you feel guilty about it. You know that you have some shame about it. You know that it's, it has become almost like a little addiction and you're drawn to it and you don't want it. You don't want to do it anymore, but you still do it and you do it again and again and again and again. And you think, well, nobody really knows, but your, but your children feel it. Your spouse feels it. And Jesus, he changes everything. His life brings abundance. And all the things that we think they're just rules, well, you know, they're going to make me live by the rules, you know. No, it's not that. Just like, I, I, can I just tell you one, another one of my pet peeves? I'm just on a roll here, so I might as well continue. One of my pet peeves in the church is that when did the spiritual disciplines become religious. Listen, the spiritual disciplines, practicing solitude and silence, Bible study and celebration, my favorite one. Do you know uh, um, um, Dallas Willard? He was a Presbyterian spirit-filled scholar. He wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. It's my favorite book about the disciplines. And when I read it, I was just taken aback. And actually, that was what part my word for you today. My sermon is based on celebration. Because I, and, I'll, and I'm going to just summarize it for you because I'm not going to have time to preach the thing to you. Because I've started here and I feel like I'm supposed to stay with this. But he says about celebration, you know, I didn't know. I grew up in a denomination, you know, that was pretty strict. And, uh, and, then I, and then I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and I came into Pentecostalism, you know. And then I met Randy Clark and then I was part of the renewal movement and the charismat charismaniacs. And I love being a charismaniac and I am one. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I will do anything God asks me to. I, I will do anything God asks me to even if it makes me look stupid. And foolish, I don't care. Because he has saved my life and saved my marriage and saved my children. That is my testimony. But Dallas Willard, I didn't know that celebration was actually a spiritual discipline. Did you know that? You know, the disciplines are how our spiritual fathers, how our spiritual fathers got more and more intimate with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit. See, they had certain practices that they followed. And they weren't hard and fast rules to make us feel bad like, oh, I, you know, I, I have to read my Bible every day. I have to do prayer every day. No, these were the, these were the practices. So they called them disciplines because, you know, the word for discipline actually means uh, learning. This was these were the things that they taught themselves to do on a daily basis so that they could be closer and closer and ever closer to God. So that they could know his heart, understand his ways, and hear his voice. And they could, they could live the abundant life that Jesus has for us, you see. And so when I came to this, the discipline of, of celebration... So there's disciplines of giving and study and silence and solitude, which is so important. We don't have enough silence and solitude in our lives, do we? When we just sit and enjoy the presence of God. I came to the, to the discipline of celebration, and I said, celebration? 
wow, you know, like, I love to laugh. I married my husband because he's funny. I'm not very funny. I'm very serious, but I, I do like to have fun. But I didn't realize that it's actually a practice. Like, we should be practicing celebration. And Dallas Willard says this, celebration heartily done makes our sorrows and our deprivations seem small. In it, we find the strength to do the will of our God because his goodness becomes so real to us. I mean, think about that. Celebration heartily done. That means with your whole heart, just give into it. You know, sometimes we go to church and we see these people up here and they're, they're dancing and they're doing, and some of them are terrible dancers, right? I mean, let's just admit it, you know? And, and, you know, but they're dancing and they're doing their thing. And we come into a church and listen, the first time I saw that, I thought these people were absolutely crazy. And, you know, but, but there's something about that kind of freedom. It, it breaks off a religious spirit. Do you know what a religious spirit is? I mean, there is a demon behind it, but a religious spirit is actually a religious system that actually separates peoples from the truth of Jesus Christ. You would think that a religious spirit would make us more religious, but actually it causes us to, to think on all faults. It become, we become fault-finding. It actually, it actually begins to make us accusational. So we, we add, you know, we join with, the, with the, uh, the, the devil who's a liar and an accuser of the brethren. You know, it causes us to make a, to make a distinction between who's in and who's out and who, who fits the fits the program and who doesn't and all that but Jesus doesn't do any of that Jesus says you're all welcome at my table I love every single one of you and you're made in my my image and I want to make your lives better because I know I know what it's like to live the human experience it's not easy is it So celebration, heartily done, makes our sorrows and our deprivations seem small. It doesn't say they go away. It makes our sorrows and deprivations seem small. In it, we find the strength to do the will of our God. How do we know that? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. In it, we find the strength to do the will of because his goodness becomes so real to us. That's what the feasts of Israel were all about, you know, celebrating. Not, not every single one of them, but you know, some of them were about atonement and all of that and repentance and all that. And so that's all a part of Christian living, right? Repentance and forgiveness and celebration and knowing how good he is. Oh, he wants so, so much for us, you know. So, so we talked about some of that last night about getting rid of the idolatry and, and, uh, and giving in really to uh, uh, holiness, you know. And holiness has also become a bad word in the church. But holiness is not about a set of, of outside rules that we, that we try to live up to. 
It's about, an, it's about a heart change. We, we allow, we yield to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and brings a heart change. We can't do it by ourselves anyway. You can't live by the rules if you try it. I mean, that's what the Old Testament is all about. And that's why Jesus brought a new covenant, and then he pours out his Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit brings the change. So holiness is really about wholeness. Do you know that? Holiness is really about becoming whole and living an uncommon life, because the Bible says that we are an uncommon people. Isn't that wonderful? And so wholeness, so the Shema, that's Deuteronomy 6. It says, oh, Lord, oh, oh, Israel, don't you know that the Lord your God is one? Now, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That word strength is me'od. That me'od means your muchness. It's this inner fortitude. It's this inner courage. It's an inner strength that he gives you. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Be wholehearted in your devotion to God. With all of your mind, let, all of your, let your th mind be renewed. Isn't that what the New Testament says? And with all of your ma'od. So there is some effort on our part. I'm not saying that you just be a blob. There's an effort on our part. It's a yielding. You know, I'm going to yield to you every single day, God. I'm going to get up and I'm going to practice the disciplines because they help me yield to you and they help me celebrate what you're doing in my life right now. And they, they, help, me, they help me get quiet with all the noise of the world that's going on around me and all the, all the noise sometimes that's in our heads that tells us everything that we're not doing right and everything that we are not and every place that we are condemned and every place that we have been abandoned. But I'm going to renew my mind because None of that is true, and I want to think your thoughts, God, and I have to get into your presence, and I have to get quiet to be able to allow your voice to come in. And so this is what he's doing in the church. So he's, he is coming to correct our toleration of Jezebel. He's coming to correct our, our idolatry and apostasy. Because, see, when you start compromising with the culture, then it does lead to abandoning of your faith. And, and, and of the faith. The loving of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then there's no room for that other stuff. Because none of my heart is given to that. None of my strength is given to that. None of my thoughts are given to that anymore, you see? And he does this work in us. And so the third thing that he is coming to correct in the church actually is the spirit of religion. And in that, in that the Lord gave me, uh, and I didn't preach the first one, Toleration of Jill, and I didn't preach this one. But it's, it's, uh, there's the story, you know the story of the woman who weeps over Jesus' feet? and then wipes them with her hair. You know, that action, that worship, that, that abandonment. She was a prostitute in the city. It says that she was the sinner of the city. But 
there had been some kind of exchange between her and Jesus, like there's some kind of exchange for all of us. When we come to Jesus, there's this, there's this exchange that happens, and she knew, she knew that she knew that she was forgiven, and she was made brand new, and she didn't have to live that life anymore, because now I'm a different person. I'm a new creation. I'm in Christ, and he's in me, and she couldn't wait to find him, to bow down at his feet, and to weep, and to wash, and she, and then she does this crazy thing. She lets down her hair, which was a big no-no. Because when she let down her hair, when she let it all out, you see, she was doing it in the house of religious spirits because she was in the Pharisee's house. And he had invited Jesus to dinner, but he had invited Jesus to dinner not because he was receiving Jesus and the salvation that he carried. No, he invited Jesus to dinner because Pharisees would invite teachers to dinner to vet them. I'm going to see if this guy is really true because, see, it would be personal gain for him. If he, if he can expose him as a fraud, then he's the big guy. If he can expose him as truly the prophet and the savior that the people are saying that he is, then he, again, he's the big guy. It's a religious spirit. And this woman comes in and she dares to throw herself at his feet because she owes him everything. I feel like that woman. I owe him everything. And she can't wait to worship him. And as she's worshiping him and she sees that she's weeping on his feet and it's making a mess because, because Simon the Pharisee didn't even give him the, the time of day, nor did he give him any water to wash his feet, which is common. Hospitality. You see, it's just another sign that he wasn't really welcoming Jesus. And the dust on his feet is mingling with her tears and she doesn't have a cloth so she takes down her own hair and she's wiping his feet with her hair and that is a sign of a prostitute, a loose woman. And everyone around is like, oh, you see what she's doing. And you know, and Simon himself says, well, if he was the person that he said he was, if he was the big prophet, if he was the Messiah, then he would know what kind of woman this is. And he would know that her weeping on him and letting down her hair, that you know, she's coming on to him. Because in the house of religious spirits, her worship is not understood. There's a misunderstanding of her heart and her devotion because of her outward appearance and because of her past. And you see, we're entering a time when there's going to be a move of God and there's going to be a mighty harvest, where do you think, people of God, the harvest is coming from? What kind of people are going to be coming into your church? They're, they're going to be, I mean, a man in a dress. And when he comes down the aisle and he, and he bows at the altar and he begins to worship Jesus because he's had some kind of an encounter, is the church going to be a religious system that says, oh, well, instead of running to the altar with him and bowing down and saying, isn't Jesus wonderful? 
He's going to change your life. Instead of pointing your finger and saying, you know, you need to take that dress off and you need to wear a pair of pants. That's going to come, you see. People, listen, when Jesus comes into a person's life, he begins to change them from the inside out. And maybe you don't see on the outside yet the change that is already beginning in the inside. So the prostitutes are going to come. The homosexuals are going to come. The transvestites are going to come. The sinners are going to come. The addicted are going to come. The young people are going to come. This house, I'm telling you, your house, this house is going to be filled with sinners. Are you going to celebrate what God is doing? Or will you be a house of religious spirits? Do you see what I'm saying? Listen, did you see the Jesus Revolution movie? When you watch I wept through the whole entire thing. But there's one important part. We've always heard about it. Those of us who've, who have studied revival history, we've always heard about it. But there's a point where people in the church are upset because, see, the hippies are coming in. And they don't wear shoes and they're dirty. They've done a lot of drugs. They're free with everything, you know. The girls don't wear bras and, you know, all of this. They don't dress like church people. They don't act like church people, right? I mean, and so there's this part. And they're coming, but they're coming to the altar and they want to know this Jesus. And the church people say, they're ruining our carpet. You need to do something about it. And when Chuck Smith said, I don't care, let him come. I'll rip out the carpet then. Then some of them left. You see, they missed, they missed the moment. They missed, and, and I'm here this weekend because I don't want you to miss your moment because it's coming, and it's coming like a freight train, and there's going to be no stopping it, and it's going to be beautiful, and you've prayed for it, and you've longed for it, and you've waited for it, but it's going to be uncomfortable, okay? It's not going to look exactly like you think, and listen, those people that are coming in may not look at anything like you. They probably don't live their life like you. They don't do their family like you. There's lots of differences. And you know what? And, and we have to be able to embrace them. And we have to be able to look at like, like the Pharisee didn't see. See, he didn't, he couldn't. The word see is used three times in that passage. And whenever there's a repeated word in scripture, we're supposed to take notice. And so see, it says behold and see and see. And then Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, Simon, do you see this woman? Why? Because he did not see her. He didn't see her. He saw the prostitute. He didn't see her worship. And I'm telling you, her worship defied a religious spirit. And that's how that message even started with me. I told you yesterday how those prophetic words start with me. It starts with a little phrase. And Jesus said to me, Kimmy, do you know that there's a, he calls me Kimmy, sorry, he does. Uh, Kimmy, do you, do you know that there's a worship that defies a religious spirit? I'm like, what? And then he led me to this passage of scripture and I haven't stopped weeping since. He's doing these things not to punish us, not to condemn us, 
but to make us strong and to make us ready to receive the harvest that is coming. It's 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 coming. Do you want it? You have to get ready for it. I have no idea where I'm at in, in timing. So the Lord kept saying to me for your church, Isaiah 54, where it says, um, uh, you know, make room, expand your tent pegs. You know that passage of scripture, right? I want to just go to it just for a moment, just for a minute. And I'll, I'll give you just a quick overview of what I kept hearing, what I kept seeing and and all of that. So Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. You're going to spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring are going to possess the nations. And you will people desolate cities. I dare say, I think Springfield is sort of a desolate city. That's how it felt when I came in here. And I want to read to you, I have it written down here, what, uh, how Eugene Peterson says it. He says this, and listen, this is a word for your, for your church. Where is it? Where is it? It's right here. He says it this way, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tent large. Now listen, tent in this passage, it's not actually a building, though I do think, I do think you're gonna, this is going to be full to capacity probably many times. You're probably going to need to get ready for a second service pretty darn quick. But the tent in this passage is your heart. Enlarge your heart. You see, to receive this harvest, to be part of this move of God, you have to enlarge your heart. Spread out. Think big, he says. Use plenty of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep. That means to get deeper with God. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. Why? Because you're going to influence and transform whole nations. And you're going to restore cities that were abandoned. And you're going to make them good places to live again. This is the word of the Lord to Dayspring. You're going to influence and transform whole nations. You're going to restore cities that were abandoned and make them good places to live again. You know, even when I first heard this word, I got a little bit like, you know. And it's interesting because God knows that as soon as he starts to tell Israel in this passage, you know, to expand your tents and make room. You know the passage that was just before it, right? Hear, hear O barren woman. Sing, O barren woman. It's an imperative, you know. An imperative verb means that it's not, it's not a like, you might want to sing about this. He's saying, you do want to sing about this. As a matter of fact, I'm commanding you to sing and shout and celebrate over this because that's the Hebrew right there. Sing, shout, and celebrate. What did, we, what did I tell you early? Celebration heartily done makes our sorrows and deprivations seem small in it we find the strength to do the will of our God because his goodness becomes so clear to us 
So, see, and so what he does is he answers their response there because he's like, they're like, yeah, you're, you're talking to the barren woman. You're talking to the one who has failed in certain places. You're talking to the one who in society, I look like I've been cursed by God. You're talking to the one who hasn't seen come to pass what I always desired to come to pass. You're talking to me, the one who's barren, and you're telling me I'm going to have all these kids and that I need to stretch out my tent pegs and make room for them in my heart, but I haven't seen it come to pass yet and you're telling me to take this kind of risk in which in which I have found out that I'm actually unable to produce it at all I can't do it I don't have the strength to do it I don't have the capacity or the ability to do it and God says right it's going to be a miracle exactly because I am the Lord your God and you are my people and when I tell you a thing it's going to come to pass and so they're like well I you know and so how does he answer in the end he says don't be afraid you're not going to be put to shame. And so I'm simply going to say to you, Dayspring Church, enlarge your heart now. Enlarge your heart so that you are able to embrace what is coming. And don't be afraid. You're not going to be put to shame. Because your people are going to be powerful and influential in the nations. And you are going to restore desolate cities. And you're going to see the goodness of God in this house. Amen? I'm going to land the plane. I didn't do anything I thought I was going to do. so, But I do want to do one thing because I woke up with this on my heart. Would you please stand up with me? And this is going to be, this is the ministry time. And I wish I had some music. Is any of the worship team still here? I know that, I know that, uh, I have no idea, like, if, if I'm on time or way late. I don't, I don't have any idea. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Melissa, for coming. Love you so much. And, uh, but we're going to sing a song, we're going to sing a children's song first. Okay, and, um, and listen, I want you to get into it. Didn't we just talk about religious spirits? Yes, ma'am? Oh, yes, okay, go. Yeah, oh, that's fine. Yeah, 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 okay. Okay, and so, yeah, and so we're going to do this, and then uh, what, listen, how amazing is it that baptisms are, you know, baptisms are a testimony of Jesus, and it's a form of celebration of what God has done in someone's life. And listen, I just want to tell you right now, uh, when they, when, who, who was that young man? What's his name? Ray, Ray? That's my hubby. That was your husband? Yeah, yeah. wow, he's powerful. Um, anyway, when he said that about, about somebody needing to get saved today, I'm telling you, that was a word of the Lord, and you know who you are. And, um, and because Jesus wants to do something so miraculous in your life, you have no idea. And so if that's you, I want you to be really brave. And here's the other thing. You have an opportunity. You could get baptized today. I know you didn't plan it. Who cares about that? When you want Jesus, you want Jesus. Listen, and, and when you get baptized, you go down... You go down and all of that past dies with Jesus and then you come up a brand new creature because Jesus is going to make you a new creation. 
And so if you, if you know that's you, I think there's one, maybe two persons in here. And listen, we sang about speak Jesus over your family. I think whoever it is that, that needs Jesus today, you have a concern about your family and you know that you want your family to change. You are the beginning of the change if you will do this today. So I invite you, if that's you, that if you, if you are, need to receive Jesus and to get baptized as well, and you can just come see the pastor right here in the front. And all you do have to do is whisper in his ear, no big deal. And we're going to celebrate that way. But I want to do this. Wait, I'm going to sing a different song. Are you ready? Okay. All right. You know this song, right? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Okay. You're not joining in. I want you to jump up and down. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. What? Sit on attack. What? Sit on attack, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. What? Sit on attack today. Let's do joy. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart today. <laughs> Woo! Let me pray for you. And then we're going to celebrate with baptisms. Father, I just thank you so much for what you are doing in this church. What you have been doing from the beginning, from the founding, from the foundations of this church. And I thank you, Lord God, that we are going to be a people, God, who celebrate heartily who sing and shout for joy and celebrate what you are going to do. Because if you say you are going to do it, it's already done. And so we are celebrating what you've already done. And as it begins to manifest on the earth, we thank you and we praise you and we glorify you for all that you are and all that you have done. And I ask God that you would bless your people in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Bye. 
on. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. I ain't going to interrupt somebody saying the name Jesus. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Jesus.